get thee behind. Victory today is mine. Joy is mine. Joy is mine. Joy is mine. Joy today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Joy today is mine. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is mine. The Holy Ghost is mine. The Holy Ghost today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. The Holy Ghost today is mine. Victory, one more time, victory. Victory is mine. Victory is mine. Victory today is mine. I told Satan, get thee behind. Victory today is mine. Let's go ahead and praise him, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Glory, God, we love you this morning, Jesus. Praise God. Welcome to all of our guests again. We're glad you're here. Second Corinthians, if you have a Bible with you, let's look at Second Corinthians chapter 10. And if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen. All of the scriptures that we read today uh, will be on the screen. Once again, to all of our guests, we're glad you're here. Uh, to all of the regular members, and we're glad you're here as well. Praise God. And anybody, everybody that's here, we're just thrilled that you're here this morning. Second Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 2, it says, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence wherewith I think to be bold, uh, be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according, according to the flesh. Verse 3 says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. From this portion of scripture today, I would like to use this as a title, Pulling Down Strongholds, Casting Down Imaginations. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are once again so grateful for your presence. That's already been here. You've been here in a great way. You've been ministering in our hearts and lives. We truly believe that you're going to do a work here this, this morning. We pray that you touch each and every one that hears this message. We are grateful for your presence we ask that you bless this message in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So again, drawing the thought out of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, especially in verse 4, where it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then in verse 5, it says, Casting down imaginations. I believe that we need to decide if we are going to stop letting the enemy of our soul push us around or not. I'm just going to jump in and, and, you know, just give the results up to, to the Lord. But I'd just like to know this morning if, 
if you really believe that our God is bigger than any force that could come against you. I've got two or three of you that agree with me so far. If we really believe that our God is bigger, that our God is stronger, that our God is better, then we'll act like it. Amen? The statement that is used in the Word of God, which says pulling down strongholds and casting down imaginations, it suggests more than just a, uh, a cursory look at it. It suggests to us uh, almost, in a sense, a, 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 a violent attitude. When it talks about pulling down and casting down, it's talking about a certain amount of violence that goes along with it. And I, for one, believe that there are too many Christians that have been pushed around by the devil and pushed around by your flesh. And if you could somehow just grab a hold of that thought or that idea or that problem and ca literally cast it down, pull it down, then God will do something extraordinary for you. A couple of weeks ago, I posted something or reposted something on Facebook, and it said this, the scary thing is when sin becomes so routine for you that you don't find it necessary to repent from it. I'm going to read that again. It says, the scary thing is when sin becomes so routine for you that you don't find it necessary to repent from it. That is an alarming thing. Now, when we study out a stronghold, a stronghold is an area in your life that has not yet been submitted to God. It could be a lifestyle. It could be an area that you refuse to submit to God or to His Word. But something you know, in fact, many times it's something that you know that is wrong in your life. And you know that it's wrong according to the Word of God. It's wrong according to what the Word of God teaches. But yet you haven't changed. Or you haven't submitted it to God. Or you haven't gotten victory over that area. It could be a thought that you let run wild in your life. It could be an imagination that, is, uh, that you are pondering some sort of sin or some sort of ungodliness. Jesus taught that there were sins of commission and sins of omission. And I want to try to explain that. A sin of a commission would be lying or stealing or cheating or committing adultery or fornication. That would be a sin of commission. But then there is the sin of omission. A sin of omission is something that you should do that you are not doing. Everybody got that so far? It is something, a sin of omission is something that you should do that you are not doing. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 it says, and this is Jesus teaching. He says, you have heard that it was said of them of old time. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, Jesus is saying, but I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her, with her already in his heart. Jesus went on to teach strongly that your eye, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If this gets too loud, turn me down. He went on to teaching in verses right after this. He said, if, if your eye offends you, then you need to pluck it out. 
if your hand offends you that you need to cut it off? Was Jesus saying that we literally need to grab a hold of our eye and pull it out? No, that's not really what he was saying. It was, in a sense, trying to grab a hold of the attention of the listeners and say to them, if there's something wrong with your eye in the sense that you keep looking at the wrong thing and you keep pondering the wrong thing, uh, then you have got to work your way away from that. Uh, You have got to get it out of your mind. You've got to get it out of your heart. Uh, And he says, if your hand offends thee, then cut it off. Uh, He's not literally saying to cut your hand off. uh, But if there's something you're constantly touching, if there's something you're constantly reaching, for, then you've got to deal with it in your heart and in your mind. Uh, I might not have many friends by the time I'm done this morning, uh, but I'm here to let you know that we got to grab a hold of our mindsets. Uh, we got to grab a hold of what's going on, uh, this stinking thinking that is in our head, uh, that we've got to grab a hold of it. The Bible says, uh, grab a hold of it uh, and tear it down. Uh, grab a hold of it uh, and pull it down. He is saying there's got to be be a certain amount of violence. Uh, Some people have got to get sick and tired uh, of being sick and tired. Uh, Some people have got to get tired uh, of fighting the same old devil, the same old thought, uh, the same old problem day in and day out uh, and pull that down uh, and tear it out of their lives. Would you clap your hands to the Lord? Jesus took sin, or what we call sin, to an entirely different level. In Matthew chapter 5, when he, he said, And you have heard that it was said by them of old time that thou shalt not commit adultery. And so in the mindset of the early church and the Hebrews, there was, there was a mindset of committing adultery was committing the act. But what Jesus was trying to tell them, he was in a sense taking sin to a whole new level. And what he was saying is that if you are thinking about it, if you are dwelling on it, it is not just the act itself, but it is committing the act in your mind. It is committing the act in your heart. And that's what the Lord says. It's not just the act in and of itself, but it is the thought that leads up to the act. That is also sin. Amen? You might not want to heard that, but it's true. And this is where strongholds exist. I don't believe that people fail overnight. I don't believe that people just sin overnight or sin by accident. In fact, I, I I don't believe you can sin by accident. It's something that's already in your heart. It's something that it's already in your thought pattern. It's something that's already in your mind. There's an interesting set of scriptures in the Old Testament that is really worth looking at. And they are some recurring statements that are found in First and Second Kings in the Old Testament. In First Kings chapter 15, verse 14, it says, But the high places were not removed. Nevertheless, Asa's heart was perfect with the Lord all his days. That statement, but the high places were not removed, are recorded or repeated in 1 Kings chapter 22, verse 43, 2 Kings chapter 12, verse 3, 
2 Kings 14 and 4, 2 Kings 15 and 4, 2 Kings 15 and 35. And it's, it's talking about how that there is a high place, or in a sense, if I can put it like this, a high place in Scripture is a place of worship. Now, bear with me for a moment for the sake of not trying to give you all of the boring details. There were a couple times in Scripture that high places were where Israel worshipped and offered sacrifices to God. Later on, when David established a temple in Jerusalem, worship in those high places was now prohibited. And they were to go to Jerusalem. They were to go to the house of God, the house or the temple that David built. But there are six times or six kings in Scripture, King Asa, King Jehoshaphat, King Johash, King Amiah, King Azariah, and King Jotham. And all of these kings, it says, the Bible says, that they were good kings. It says that they sought reform. However, there was one area that they did not do well. All six of those kings, the Bible says, they left the high places. They had removed other things, but the high places were not removed. Those high places often left open the possibility that people would sacrifice to or worship false gods. And although these were good kings and although they had many great qualities, there's one thing that the scripture says, but the high places were not removed. I'm here to let every child of God know if you have a high place in your life, a place that should not be there, something that should not be a part of your life, of your thinking, of your lifestyle. The Bible says not to leave it there. You've got to deal with it. You've got to root it out. You've got to take care of it. All six of these kings did what was right in the eyes of God. However, in the Old Testament, Joshua is praised, and we see it in Joshua 11, verse 15. It says, as the Lord commandeth Moses his servant, so did Moses command Joshua. And so did Joshua. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded Moses. In other words, that commendation of Joshua is simply saying this, that everything God told him to do, he did. There was nothing that he held back. Uh, there's nothing that he refrained from doing. Uh, if God told Moses and Moses told Joshua, the word of God says he did it. Uh, amen. Child of God, I want you to know, uh, amen, that Jesus scolded the Pharisees in the Old Testament. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Uh, but if you want the things that are hindering your walk with God to be broken, if you want those high places, uh, if you want those imaginations to be broken, then you've got to make it up in your mind first. You've got to decide in this gray matter between your ears what you're going to do if you're going to fully serve God or if you're only going to partly serve God. (laughs) 
I, I, think I, could, I think I could say this statement and be somewhat true, hopefully fully true with it. If you're here today, I believe that you have at least an interest in God. And if you're here today, it's most likely that you are highly interested in God. And you are interested in knowing more about God and growing and maturing. Maybe, in fact, you might be here today and you didn't really understand some of the things that were going on in our worship service, but you're still here. You didn't walk out the door. You could have walked out the door. If some of our worship scared you, you could have said, well, you know what, we're just going to sneak out. When the, when the ushers come by with the offering and they go out, we're going to just go out. When all the kids are going to go out, we're going to go out with them. But you're still here. And you're still here because there's something in you that says there's got to be more and there's got to be better and there's got to be greater. If you truly want to serve God, you will never allow yourself to get stagnant in your relationship with Him. You will not tread water in your relationship with God. If necessary, you're going to swim upstream. If necessary, you will fight every devil in hell. If the devil's trying to destroy your family, you're going to fight it, fight against it. If the devil's trying to destroy your life or a flesh is trying to take over, you're going to do battle with it and you're going to get victory over it. So let me ask you this question. How many of you struggle with things? Be honest. All right? Most of you. Now, we're all admitting, hopefully all of us are admitting that we have things we struggle with. How many of you have doubts and fears and other things that go on in your life? Sometimes you even may doubt the existence of God. Not only am I here to submit to you that there is a God, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if you want the victory, you can get the victory. If you're bound by pornography, then God can deliver you. If you're bound by illicit relationships, God can deliver you. If you're bound by sin, God can deliver you. If you need the victory over a bad habit in your life, uh, then my God can deliver you. If you're bound by some sort of illicit drug, uh, then God can deliver you. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I believe this. We have just got to decide if we're going to stop playing with the thoughts or not. I told you I wasn't going to make any friends. You say, well, it's just a thought. A thought ultimately will turn into an, a an action. However, Jesus even said a thought can be a sin. All right, I got one person that's supporting me right now. <laughs> that's all right. I got at least one friend that's going to go out to lunch with me. And she's called sister wife. I want you to know that we have, there, there are things that every single one of us battle, whether you are brand new in serving God or you've served God for 50 or greater years. There's things that you will battle. There's things that you will struggle with. And the Bible says casting down imaginations. It talks about pulling down these strongholds. What it's saying is you've got to somehow, and I know it's a mental picture if I could, but somehow you're being tied up. I see these hands with ropes around 
around them in the title of the message there. Amen. It talks about pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations. In a sense, there's things that tie us up. We can get to the certain level or certain place in God, and it seems like we're constantly battling the same wall, hitting the same wall, hitting the same problems, hitting the same issues, and we hit that wall and we back up again, and we try to go at it again and we back up again, and we try to go at it again and we back up again, and constantly we are condemned by it. In fact, I believe there are people here today that are under condemnation because you have not gotten victory over certain areas of your life, but I'm here to let you know that Jesus can give you that freedom right here and right now. So in the New Testament, Pharisees were scolded by Jesus in in Luke chapter 11, verse 32. Woe unto you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass over judgment and the love of God. These ought you to have done and not leave the other undone also. I've got another message that I may soon preach uh, dealing with the Pharisees. But what the, when, when Jesus was talking to them, he was saying, you tithe of these small herbs, and some of the, or these herbs were the size of a grain of sand. And he was saying that you are tithing on that, but there's something that you are leaving missing. And what you are leaving missing in your life is you pass over judgment and the love of God. He was saying, I commend you for your tithing. But it's more than your tithing that is going to get you to heaven. It's your attitude towards people. Especially in the Old Testament. There was a mindset of you do this and you'll make it. You'll do that and you'll make it. And there was a truth in that, in the obeying of the law. And we should not just discard the law because we're in the New Testament. But the law is not going to save you. Obedience to the scripture will save you. Obedience to the gospel will save you. But it's more than just being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Now I just messed up somebody's theology. We need to do that because in Acts 2.38 it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is New Testament salvation. But God is always concerned also about your attitude. I hadn't planned on saying this, but you can be obedient in certain areas of Scripture and disobedient in others, and sometimes we justify that to ourselves. And sometimes we look around at other people in the church and say, well, I'm doing better than that one, and I'm doing better than that one, but the Bible says that we should not compare ourselves amongst ourselves.
at the risk of offending somebody, let me just come out and say it. There's probably a hypocrite or two here. <laughs> or maybe more. And I could be one of them. I'm not trying to tell somebody here that they're a hypocrite or they're a Pharisee or this, they're this or they're that. What I'm saying is I need to be right with God. I need to have the right attitude. I need to have the right spirit. If there are certain people that you can't worship next to or near because of the color of their skin or because of their nationality, then I'm going to just go ahead and tell you, you're not going to make it to heaven. <laughs> Amen. If you can't worship next to a black person or a white person or a yellow person or a brown person, you better grow up real quick because when that trumpet sounds and God comes back for his church, if you really want to make it, it that's why I love a multicultural, multinational church because when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a black section. There's not going to be a white section. It's going to be one church, one people worshiping God, loving God together. All nations, all tongues. <laughs> that wasn't even in my notes, so I, I think I got to add that to my notes. Remind me to charge for that one. That one was good. <laughs> Praise God. What we do in serving God is good. But it's what's undone. That's what I'm concerned with today. It's something that is undone. That is something that we need to look at. We are not judges and jury. We don't have the right to pick and choose what we will accept and what we will reject out of God's Word. In Ephesians 2 verse 19 and on from there it says, Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Verse 20, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth up into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. So notice this. The foundation of the church is built upon the apostles, but Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And as I have been preaching, many of you, already know what strongholds that you need to that are in your life that you need to tear down maybe it's a sin maybe it's an area of doubt maybe it's a lack of respect for an obedience to authority maybe it's prejudice or it might be a bad habit it might be pride or arrogance it might be shame, and, and I need to focus on this for a moment. 
Some of you have come to church for years and years and years, and there is shame in your heart over something that happened to you, young lady, amen, or maybe older lady or young man or older man. Maybe something was done to you as a child or as a young person that is absolutely shameful and wrong, but you should not be the bearer of the shame. What somebody did to you years ago, God can help you with it's so tragic when when awful terrible horrific things happen to children and young people and this should not be named amongst us it should not happen it should never happen uh, and even some of you maybe you even grew up in the church uh, but yet something awful and terrible happened to you as a child or a young person and it might have been even at the hands of somebody that was in ministry or somebody that was in leadership God forbid uh, and God help us uh, that that would never happen uh, and just for the parents that are here I want you to know that we go out of our way to make sure every one of our staff members has been thoroughly vetted. We're not going to let somebody teach or help to teach your children unless they are godly and righteous and unless they are going to handle it the right way. There will be no abuse amongst us. That's why we have a two-person rule in all of our classes. Two adults are supervising every single class. And sometimes even more than that, we do that because we cherish the innocency of your children. We cherish every single child, every single young person. And we will do our dead level best to make sure that nothing could ever happen to them in the house of God. But the reality is... And even if something doesn't happen here and likely will not happen here, that your children may have been abused even in the home or in their schools or somewhere else. There is the, I, I just I don't know why it feel, I feel so strong about this this morning, but some of you are carrying around shame and you're, you've been carrying it around so long because in your mind, why would that person do this to me if I somehow didn't allow it or I somehow didn't invite it? No, you probably didn't even invite it. You didn't even want it, but it was thrust upon you and here you are 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years later and you are walking with with that same shame. I rebuke that shame in the name of Jesus Christ because God loves you. You've got to know that God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Amen. And then there's others that are walking around with guilt. Uh, some have had bad family histories and, and repeated failures time and time again. And to others, there's that idea of rebellion or rebellion in your heart or in your life, whatever it is. Uh, God can help you with it. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man, notice this, if any man be in Christ, he is a, somebody say it, new creature. If you are in Christ, you are a new creature. It says, all things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You know what's awesome? Have you ever, you know, I'm getting, how can I say this? I, I don't like holding babies anymore. 
the little tiny ones. I was talking to about somebody about it before church. You know those little tiny four-pound, five-pound, six-pound babies? They scare me to death. Even when we do baby dedications now, I let the, if they're tiny little, tiny little babies, I let the parents hold them, and I'll just pray. <laughs> because I'm scared of holding those tiny little frail little babies. But there's something about that precious little child. There's so much innocency there, so much purity there, until they grow up. Until they mature, until they... And, you know, you didn't have to teach your kid how to lie. Now, Janie, we're going to teach you today. The lesson is we're going to teach you how to steal. And so you bring them through the register at the grocery store, and you say, you see that bubble gum over there? Just go ahead and, you know, grab it and just stick it in your pocket. We're going to teach you how to steal today. No. You got home and wondered where they got the gum from. Right? Or if you did teach them, shame on you. I remember one time when our kids were young and we, uh, we just noticed that they were, I mean, we gave them stuff. You know, if they wanted something and we could give it to them, we would. Carlos, I, you know, anyhow, I could talk about Carlos for a while, but I'm not. He's a great kid today. I, well, I will talk to you about for, for, for a minute. When he, was, when he was in junior camp and senior camp, he was a terror. I mean, I remember when I was in charge, of, in charge of junior camp one year, he was just messing up, doing all kinds of stuff. And we were trying to get all the kids to bed. He wouldn't go to bed. And finally, I said, you come out here. And we put, I think it was a nickel or a quarter or a penny or whatever it was on the wall. And we said, we want you to hold that penny there. What, what was it, a quarter, nickel? Quarter? Okay. You, you don't talk, don't say nothing. You just hold that thing there with your nose. And we went down the hallways, got everybody else to bed. You know, I think he was there for half hour, 45 minutes or so. And then next thing you know, he's standing away from the wall laughing like crazy. And I'm going, what is wrong with you? And the quarter was stuck to the wall. I couldn't even get mad at just go to bed. Just go, just go to bed. Just go to bed. But I, I remember this one time with our kids. We were wondering, where are they getting all this gum from? Chewing gum, gum wrappers? You know, I asked my wife. I said, did you get them a big patch, package of gum? No, I didn't get it. Well, I know I didn't get it for them. So we went in the room and started digging through, and they had uh, one of them, I forget which one it was. I think it might have been Eric or something. We never really figured it out. But, you know, those big packages of juicy fruit? Not the little ones that have like five or six pieces in there. They have like 20 or 30 pieces or whatever. You know, the big packages. There's gum wrappers under their bed. Under, uh, you know, I mean, just everywhere. Gum wrappers everywhere. Where did you get this? And we finally somewhat nailed it down and said, you stole that? And I guess in when she was taking it, going shopping, the kids were there. They just some grabbed it and shoved it in their pocket. And they were home eating, eating lots of gum. And so, you know, whichever one we kind of nailed it down, maybe if we got the wrong one, I don't know, but we brought them back to the grocery store. At, well, she did. I was too embarrassed. 
I'm the pastor of the church, you know. I mean, God forbid that the pastor of the church should be bringing his kleptomaniac son. Is that the kleptomaniac? Is that somebody that steals? I don't know. Anyhow. But, you know, and, and so she brought him back. And tell, tell the, you know, the, the manager of the store you stole that. And, and so, yeah, it was embarrassing for our son. And it was really embarrassing for her. I was home hiding in a closet. And it was something that never happened again. We didn't have to teach them it is in our nature. It is something that is in us. And these are the type of things that we need to pull down. These are the type of things that we need to cast down. And so in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so, so if we are a new creature, then there is something new that's working in us, trying to work out all the old. And if you're going to serve God, you need to get rid of the old and adopt the new. The lifestyle of sin you led in your past shouldn't be welcomed in your godly future. So we've got to not cripple our past or, and, or be, be crippled by our past. Don't let every nasty comment that people made to you define your future. You would be appalled at some of the things that I heard as a, as a young person and a teenager from even my own parents. Some of the things that were said to me on a regular and ongoing basis. And, and trust me, some of it's so vulgar, vulgar I, I have a hard time even remembering it myself because of how awful it was. But sometimes we just need to violently deal with what has happened, what has been said to you. Listen, uh, you know, it might have been repeated a thousand times, uh, but you don't have to believe and you don't have to dwell in what somebody else said about you because what they said about you or what they think about you doesn't matter as much as what Jesus thinks about you. And if Jesus would go to an old rugged cross, uh, if Jesus would allow, allow his beard to be beard to be plucked, uh, if Jesus would allow his back to be bit, beaten just because and for you, uh, then you are somebody that he loves uh, and cherishes, uh, and somebody might think badly about you, but it matters what Jesus thinks about you. So here, in a nutshell, is what we need to do. We need to take control of the thoughts. We need to take control of the thoughts. We need to stop being slave to it. In 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, it says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshy. They're not flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You can't fight this with boxing gloves. You can't fight this with kickboxing classes. You can't fight this with karate. It says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. Notice this. Through God to the pulling down, the tearing down of strongholds. 
And it says casting down imaginations and every high thing. Notice this, casting down imaginations. You might want to underline that in your Bible when you get a chance. Uh, the casting down is the imagination. It's what you keep thinking. Those strongholds are your imaginations. Uh, pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing. Notice this, uh, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. It's lifting itself up in your heart and in your life and in your mind, even against God. Amen? Every high thing. So, in, in other words, the way I picture it is this, that there's this struggle going on in your heart and in your mind. It's, it's that, that struggle that's going on, and it's beating against your relationship with God, and it's beating against your knowledge of God, and they're butting heads all the time, and one keeps lifting itself up and trying to push down your walk with God. But if you will lift up your walk with God... And push down the thoughts. It says, and bringing into captivity. It's almost like putting it in jail. You need to put those thoughts behind bars. You need to lock the door and throw away the key. Or is that too simple? You need to put those thoughts behind doors. Lock the door. Throw away the key bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Uh, if you will let Jesus take care of it, it will be taken care of. We can't put on our boxing gloves and put a choke hold on thoughts <laughs> as much as we would like to. You know, you can't give thoughts an elbow in the teeth, right? All right, yeah, I'm losing everybody. I think you're all thinking about lunch or something like that. You can't give, you know, you know, you can't just take it, give an elbow back to the thoughts, give it, give, you know, give an elbow to the teeth of the thoughts. Notice this: carnal weapons don't work to defeat this type of enemy. It is a spiritual enemy. Imaginations. That word imagination means computation. <laughs> It means reasoning. It means thought. You're calculating it. It's a computation. It's a reasoning. It is a thought. How you figure it out and how you rationalize it. How you thought in the past does not work. Your pre-Christ thinking doesn't work after you start serving the Lord. Your pre-Christ way of looking at things do not work when you start serving the Lord. Isaiah 55 and verse 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. The Bible says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, my the, the Lord is saying, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Uh, I do believe God expects us to use common sense. Certain things are, by the way, no-brainers. I heard that all the time growing up, too. Ephesians 6 Verses 10 through 18, it says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
put on, notice this, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice verse 12, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in what? High places. Verse 13, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you might be able to withstand in the evil day. Having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteous, righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, now we need to focus on verse 16. What does it say next? Above all. Is saying what went on from before this thought is good, as important as you need it. But above all that, all right, everybody got that so far? He says, above all, what verse are we on? Verse 16. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith. So the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shot with the, prepar shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace, those things, your loins guard about with truth, those things are important. But above all, taking the shield of faith, that shield that says, I am going to make it. No matter what goes on around me, no matter what feelings are coming my way, no matter what I'm battling, I've got this shield of faith. And the shield of faith says uh, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench, notice this, all the fiery darts of the wicked. And then he goes on in verse 17, which is a continuation of the same topic. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. In other words, you put this helmet on your head, and that helmet is intended to do one thing, and it's intended to protect your brain. If you're not going out of your way to protect your brain, you're in trouble. Now, uh, and I know so, some, some families, you got kids that play certain sports that require, require helmets. They ride their bikes, they're supposed to have helmets on. Why? Because if they fall off their bike and hit their head, what are they trying to do? Protect their brain. And so that's why there's such a big deal, in, especially in football and some of the other contact-type sports where people, uh, you know, even in boxing and things where, where they are injuring their brains. And so they're trying to somehow figure a way that they can protect our children from hurting their brains. It says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the, uh, of the wicked, verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. So the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit work together. Amen? And the sword of the Spirit, which is the work of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. Now, let me stop here and say this. Some of you have been going through things and fighting things and battling things, and my question to you is this. Have you prayed about it? you got to help me right now. Often when p people come to me with problems, many times one of the first things I will say to them is say, have you prayed about it? And because I've learned this, if you will take things to prayer, 
most of the time, God will deal with it for you and on your behalf. But one of the problems is that's generally the last place we go. Prayer as a last resort instead of a first resort. <laughs> I knew it would get quiet in here. It's all right. It goes on. It says, praying always with all prayer and supplications in the spirit, watching thereunto and with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. In other words, it's saying that that stronghold and that spiritual thing that is going to come against us, that, that, that stronghold and that battle, that difficulty, it can't come down with carnal weapons. You can't fight it with carnal weapons. It takes spiritual weapons. Uh, spiritual problems take spiritual weapons. Uh, Tried to handle spiritual problems with carnal weapons uh, and you will lose every single time. Uh, but <coughs> God help us. Uh, God needs to help us to understand that there's times that we battle things uh, then rather than just go to some psychiatrist. Now, I'm not against psychiatrists and psychologists, uh, but first go to God. But if you want to move forward in your walk with God, you've got to do some, caring some tearing down and some casting down of strongholds. Again, that stronghold is an area in your life that you have not yet submitted to God. More often, that's what it is. A stronghold is often an area in your life uh, that you tried to keep hidden and secret. Uh, amen. The Bible talks about how we, uh, we wrestle against principalities. But let me, let me go back to the thought I had just a moment ago. Amen. Many times those strongholds and those places we battle are places we, we have our own little closet for it. We hide it out. We got it hidden underneath the bed or we got hidden in a corner somewhere and not, not many people know about it. I, I submit to you that probably every single person here has a closet in your house that you don't want anybody to know about. Hello? How many of you have junk drawers? Right? Now, I was brought up that when you go to somebody's house, you don't just go look in their refrigerator. Hello? Walk into somebody's house. You know, hey, Aunt Joan, Aunt Judy, or whoever you are, you just walk right into the house, you grab a hold of the handle of the refrigerator, pull it open, what's, what's in here? If I did that, my mom would have sent me out for adoption. She would have given me away. She, you're gone, you're, I mean, my mama wouldn't allow that. And, and, and so when you go to somebody's house, you Go where they tell you to go. You sit where they where you want the, they want you to sit. You don't just go through their junk. Every one of you ha probably has that junk closet. You, somebody calls you up, say, "Hey, I'm coming over. I'll be there in five minutes." They, you're grabbing stuff and chucking it in the closet. You're gra grabbing this, getting rid of that. You're grabbing that dirty underwear that left on the floor over there. You're just shoving it under. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but you're you're just grabbing stuff and you're getting rid of it. Why? Because there's certain things that you don't want just anybody to see, right? And so you have that closet. You start chucking stuff in. 
and you just pray, don't go put your coat in there. Because if you put your coat in there, everything's coming tumbling down. You're going to realize all the stuff I just threw, out, threw away and put in there. Right? We all have those closets or those things that we try to, we don't want people to go in. Not that necessarily everything there is bad, but it's just stuff that isn't tidy. It isn't neat. It isn't clean. It isn't really the best thing. That, so you just kind of hide it away. There are those areas in our life that you can hide from me and you can hide from your family and you can hide from your friends, but you can't hide them from God. In Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him and went into the Pharisee's house and sat down and behold, a woman of the city, a prostitute, by the way, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus was at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping, began to wash his feet with her tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now look at the attitude of the Pharisee. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, Spake within himself, he didn't talk out loud. He spoke within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner that is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. He thought all those things in his mind, but he didn't verbalize them. And then Jesus had a conversation with him about that right after that. And so I don't have to get into that. But do you really think that Jesus doesn't know what you're thinking? I mean, just read the Gospels and look at how many times he knew what the Pharisees and what this one and that one were thinking. Most of our battle in serving God and in and, and temptation is in our heart and it's in our mind. 2 Corinthians 10 and 5 says, Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth or lifteth, its, lifteth itself up against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Our prayer ought to be, God, touch my mind. I honestly, you know, the thing I deal with more than anything else is what goes on up here. If I can get in control of what goes on in my head, I'll actually be a pretty good Christian. <laughs> All right, somebody's going to get that later. Our prayer ought to be, God, touch my mind. Every morning when I get up early for prayer, God, touch my mind. In Matthew 12, 34, it says, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Matthew 5, 19, for out of the heart proceedeth. And by the way, when it says heart, it's also interchangeable, talking about the mind. For out of the heart proceedeth evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, theft, false witness, blasphemies. I'm going to skip past one of the scriptures I had. Go to Matthew 22, 37. It says, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy what? Heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Amen. He said all thy heart, all thy soul, 
all thy mind. Romans 7, 22 through 23, it says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. Everybody got that? And bringing into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So we need to recognize that there is a battle going on. We need to recognize that there, there are things that are trying to win control of our minds. We need to get victory. When we get victory over my, our mind, we will have victory over our flesh. Did you hear that? When you have victory over your mind, you will have victory over your flesh. But today's, listen to this, parents, you need to hear this especially. Today's entertainment is trying to get in, get in control of people's minds. The whole idea of virtual reality. And, and, and listen, I'm not just going to, you know, jump on this for a little while, but you need to understand this. Uh, video games, social media, uh, the many things that are going on for people to connect. Uh, uh, whatever happened to go out and play kickball? Uh, whatever happened to go out and just go ice skating? When I got home from school, I would grab my ice skates and I would go to the pond across the street, strap on my ice skates, uh, and I would skate until my mother was screaming so loud you could hear her in the next town. I would just, I was outside from, as soon as I could get outside, I was outside. And I was outside until she got mad at me. And then I came in. But today, kids are inside. Even adults are inside. Uh, and they, they are watching video games and watching this and watching that all the time. And today's battle is the battle over the mind. Today's entertainment is gaining control of people's minds. I, listen, this isn't just some sort of philosophy. You've got to understand this. The video games today, when you can sit and, and watch and play that video game for hours and hours and hours and hours on end, you're playing that stupid video game and you're talking to people and they're playing the same video game you are and you're telling this one, you go that way, and you're telling that one, you go that way, and I'll go this way, and you're, you're constantly talking to each other and you're so wrapped up in these video games uh, that sometimes it's hours and hours and hours later and then you look at the clock and say, oh my Lord, I can't believe how much time I have put into that. The scary thing is this, when sin becomes so routine that you don't even find it necessary to repent of it, that you're just doing it and you don't even think anymore that you need to repent of it. People are convincing themselves that sin is not sin. We need to pray every day, God, touch our mind. And as our musician would come today, when it talks about pulling down and, ca pulling down and casting down, is, it, it's talking about not being polite about it. It's, it includes a certain amount of, of violence. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, the second part of that says, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And she's going to start playing here in just a minute, but I've got a very childish example up here. How many have ever seen something like this before? You ever seen something like this? How many have ever seen, they, they used to have, I was trying to find one of those plastic balls that you can put all the little, you know, plastic pieces in and each one has its own little hole that it fits in. When it talks about pulling down strongholds and casting down imaginations, 
You see, if you have something in your life that doesn't fit in your God mold, right? I'm going to try to do this. If you have something that doesn't fit in your God mold, it just doesn't fit. What the Word of God is talking about is if it doesn't fit in your God mold, you got to get rid of it. If it doesn't fit in the Word of God mold, in the mold that you know what God and how God wants you to live, then you just get rid of it. You cast it out. You throw it away. You don't try to make something fit when it was not designed to fit. We need to have a God mold that only God can fit in. And only the things of God can fit in. Now, I'm not condemning all kinds of social media. I go on Facebook probably more than I should. I'm not on it that, you know, as much as you think I am. Amen. But uh, there are so many things that are trying to grab a hold of our minds. Uh, we got to cast some of these things down and say, God, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. I'm not going to put it up. Put, would you stand with me today? I'm not going to put up with it anymore. We have got to know, Lord, what is best for me. And if there's things that you're battling with today and you have tried everything but God, then I want to tell you, you ought to be one of the first people here at this altar and give God a try. We need to cast down these imaginations. We need to pull down Pull down strongholds and cast down imaginations. I believe everybody here wants to serve the Lord. Everybody here wants to know more about God. And if there are strongholds in your life, or there, if there's imaginations that you've been dealing with time and time again, why don't you come this morning? This altar is open, and we want to give you an opportunity to take it to the Lord. Because the Lord can help you with it faster and more completely than any other answer you might try. Our God is great. Our God is strong. So this altar is open. Our prayer warriors are going to come and help pray with you in the altar. Does, is there anybody that wants to take it to the Lord today? I know some of you might say, well, it'd be really embarrassing going to that altar. Everybody's going to wonder what, I, what I'm thinking, what I'm battling. Who cares what they think? Who cares what they think? What matters is that when you walk out these doors in a few minutes, is that you have the victory that God wants you to have. The victory that God sent a preacher to a pulpit this morning to tell you, you can have victory. You can have victory. These altars are open. Praise singers, if you would lead us in worship. Is there anybody that needs to talk to the Lord this morning? We're, we're so glad to invite you to this altar. Let God help you. Let God minister to you. Let God save you, deliver you, set you free. Prayer warriors, altar workers, please come help us. We need some ladies to come help us. We need some men that can come help us in this altar. There is power.